welcome to the All Things Data podcast, combined edition. We're here actually with Dave Mathias, uh, the Data Able podcast host. So we're combining our podcast this week. Awesome. Great to be with you. Uh, we're, we're socially distanced between Minneapolis and Toronto, so we're, we're good there. Yeah, that's awesome. No, thanks. Thanks for joining. And I mean, thanks for uh, setting all this up too. I know it was a, a bit of back and forth, but, uh, and we, we get to use some new podcast tech. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's uh, always good fun. And we're sort of talking about like leading edge things, right? So we're going to talk a little data education, a little analytics education. Uh, but maybe like, what are you, tell us more about what you guys are about and, uh, you know, and I'll do the same and maybe go back and forth a little bit there and then go into the analytics education. Yeah, so uh, 1000 ML really started as a, uh, a data consultancy way back in the day, um, and as we we kept going, we noticed very quickly that uh, all the people that we'd hire or work with and whatnot, um, they, it's not that they necessarily lacked data literacy altogether, but they didn't have, I guess, you know, the calluses of a data professional who's been in the in the world for a very <laughs> long right. time, and we're purporting to to be, you know, excellent data people, whatever that data people means. I mean, it could be data scientist or analyst or AI practitioner, whatever. Um, and we kept, you know, creating um, programs such that we would take them from entry level emerging or what have you and make them into fully, fle- fully fledged and fully uh, rounded uh, data practitioners that were super useful to us. And very quickly, we found that uh, a lot of our contemporaries in the community really wanted uh, some of our staff and wanted what we were doing. And it was a bit of a of a moat that we were building around the business that allowed us to um, scale and have, uh, I guess, lower operational costs across the board. So that led us to a world of let's create this for other people as well. And let's make the product, uh, the people that we're training up. So that was sort of the crux of 1000ML. And we keep doing um, consultancy work and project work and product work because we have a, I guess, a dearth of data practitioners that come through. And a lot of them are are great that we want to keep them. So we keep the ones that we really, really want around at times uh, when we have projects for them specifically. Uh, And if not, we help get them placed into, uh, into jobs somewhere in the community. And now it's actually been worldwide, really. Cool. That's uh, almost like a sort of a apprenticeship-like uh, model, um, where sort of like the hand in hand, learning together, little old school. That's coming back more in popularity in some different cases, right? That's right. Well, and I think we're we're big. Yeah, there's been of, a lot of. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, we're just saying we're big proponents of um, you know hands on and you know learning from textbooks is great. I think theoretically, but uh, at at the end of the day, employers and ourselves, you know, we want people that can do things and actually like operate and, you know, execute. So we think that the fastest way to learn, especially in the data world, there's a lot, it's, it's trial and error. It's a lot of like experimentation and tinkering around. So we, you know, we, we encourage people to, to do that. And that's the way we kind of deliver curriculum also. Cool. That's, that's very cool. And, and somewhat, even though we, we both saw, problems in the spaces we're in. We sort of both saw similar problems in different areas, I think. And and so for us, we certainly, we focus on more the business side of data and the challenges that are there. So less the data scientists or uh, folks like that and more, okay, the the product managers, the, uh, the finance person, the marketing person, the HR person, and getting that data literacy up uh, across the board along with uh, 
some of those uh, more success skills for the technical people, but we don't really get into the, you know, the more rigorous training of, of more technical people um, other than some of those success skills. So I think we have some overlap, but we also have uh, some, some differences where we're playing in. Yeah, for sure. And we, we keep noticing all across the board, data literacy is, you know, very top of mind for a huge number of organizations. I, I don't know if it was catalyzed really because of um, the COVID and the pandemic and people working from home quite a bit and having to do more, uh, maybe stretch themselves a little more than they had in the past. Uh, but yeah, like we, we keep running into conversations over and over and over again with all kinds of organizations who are, uh, you know, basically telling us we are not literate enough and we really need to understand what kind of insights and what kind of power data really has. Yeah. I was, in fact, actually recording another Data Able episode just this morning uh, with, he's a chief data officer of a, a company out East that's sort of like a medium-sized software B2B uh, type company. And him and I were chatting and, and on this data literacy front is, is one of the components and really the data translator role and data storytelling role. And he sort of looks at it as there's, there's, and I, and of course this is our I'm in agreement it's my confirmation bias so so but it's the you know there's like going to be those folks that are uber tactical and that are really good at, at uh, sort of diving in and you know being the really strong data scientists and then there's this huge girth of uh, number of people that are going to be uh, around okay data storytellers data visualization uh, data literacy and just with really strong domain expertise so uh, how do you get more of that and not try to I think the challenge is and in fact, I just got off the phone with somebody that's looking to make a career change and her first, and she's looking at more like, okay, well, she's done a lot of things. In fact, she was actually working for the Canadian consulate at one point uh, at, here in Minneapolis. And we're, we were chatting on, on, you know, the first thing that she picked up, cause she was like, oh, well, I want to, you know, leverage my creativity, but I also like the field of analytics and things like that. And I was thinking about like data storytelling and data visualization. So the first thing she picked up was like a, a Coursera Python course. And I was like, okay, I don't know if that's the first thing that you want to like <laughs> dive into. I mean, that's great. Like if you're curious, but like, how do you, especially because you get a lot of folks that are career changers, right? And how do you help educate and transition somebody that's maybe a career changing type of person where they weren't, uh, let's say they're, they're, they want to jump into the very tactical or maybe right. even more of an analyst or a data scientist versus like somebody that's coming out of school or like they're, they're, they're pretty young in their career. Well, I think there's a couple of things like, first off, you know, I think it's the hype of marketing. Um, so the idea, you know, everyone's saying like data scientist, Python, you know, these are all the sexy things you need to be doing. And, you know, sometimes they're just not, that's not the thing they need, you know? And I, I think it's, uh, you're, you're right by just kind of asking the questions and it's not, not necessarily coaching, but just kind of informing people that there are other roles outside of data scientists <laughs> uh, that are in the data world. But, you know, once you kind of get past that, um, I think a person who's been in the industry for a while, career change, but it doesn't necessarily mean industry change, right? So these, you know, folks who've been in the game for a while and seen, you know, the problems that um, occur in their industry or in, at their business are, are extremely valuable, right? I mean, it's like taking someone who's a great operator and then adding the data layer onto them, right? So they they know a lot of things that, you know, people like the general population don't know. So they can apply that kind of specialist lens. And usually what I tell those folks are just like what, or I'll ask them questions around the idea of like, what kind of um, 
what kind of problems do you see or what kind of questions would you like to answer if you had all the data in the world type of thing and then go try and solve that you know yeah that makes perfect sense i mean and and i think people that oftentimes want to do these career change and partly is i you know there's this article i'm still waiting to publish it's i think it's going to come out next week it's 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 talking about the the whole unicorns uh, view of, of data scientists and product management right. i think both of those roles have this misconception of like this is just like the roles the, the two type of roles that are so sought after nowadays but uh other than being like the billionaire entrepreneur right uh <laughs> so i think that the question is is really like what's motivating why do you want to like be that role what what do what do you yeah. see your skill sets that line there and like what's your passion um i think too many people are driven by the hype nowadays and we think like oh i can learn anything in a weekend or a, in a boot camp and certainly some boot camps you can learn a lot but that's only going to be like the the very cursory level of your career as as to be good at anything it takes lots of time to be that polished whatever it is People are often drawn, you know, just by the the salary numbers that they see or have read in, you know, some magazines and publication, The Economist, whatever it is, right? And they're like, oh, wow, data scientists make so much money. You know, that's exactly what I need to do. And it's also future-proofing me. So they jump in and think, well, I'm going to be a great data scientist, especially at the entry level, where it's really tough to get hired as a data scientist right out of school. And it's really tough to get hired without the real experience. So oftentimes these people need to, you know, think through, well, how do I get my foot in the door and do something that is, you know, very close to or adjacent to data science and work my way into that data science workflow uh, as soon as I possibly can. So I demonstrate value and they give me more responsibility. I think it's also understanding the roles. Like data science is one of those things that, you know, it's one of those terms where you could just say like IT or developer. There's so many things, you know, I mean, you could be in research, so you're just looking in models. You could be in the engineering side where you're productionizing. You could be in, you know, the um, analysis side, right? So, I mean, it all it all depends what you want to know. And I think data science is this like catch-all term, but you know, we're seeing this now where you're getting new role titles or new specialization titles of like machine learning engineers, data science researcher, data science analyst, things like that. So, I think. Um, people don't know what they're getting into. So they're just like immediate, I'm taking Python. <laughs> so they don't know the type of problems they want to be solving or like what they want to actually be doing. They just know that it's data is the new gold and I need to go mine for it. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, so for, for you guys, when you're talking with somebody initially that first time, what are the key questions that you're asking them to sort of understand, okay, what is this person's motivations and how, how much do I want to invest in? Cause you're with, with an apprenticeship type model, that's a fairly significant effort from your end and also from their end, their end. And, and certainly, you know, if, if they're not doing great work, it reflects on you, especially when you're doing like the consulting uh, type work here, you know, tell me a little bit of how that process goes. Um, I would think that, I, let me think about this. Vic, maybe you have a, a better answer off the top of your head. I'm like, I'm trying to formulate this. Well, uh, generally, I mean, to look at quality and ensure that we keep quality high, uh, we 
generally work them through the model is we work them through uh you know a ton of um projects all the way through this experiential learning uh over a longer period than a boot camp would um all the while they're also being mentored so we have staff mentors who uh sit by the wayside so it's not a self-led program but that would be pretty crazy to try to get people to really do that um that's more akin to a fellowship and that usually works or can work for um postgraduate uh degrees but if you're you know and i don't want to belittle it but if you're a lowly uh bachelor degree or even an honors bachelor <clears throat> you are possibly um not of the same rigor and critical thinking that uh somebody with a postgraduate degree might have so you need a little bit more hand holding and a little bit more showing you the way so you were completely right at the start where you sort of, I guess, uh, juxtaposed it to um, an apprenticeship because that's really how we work it. It's uh, the mentor is the one who's, you know, paid well and is really in charge of delivery along with an account manager for our projects. And we give it the rigor and professionalism that we do on the consulting side. It's just that much like uh, if you were talking about Deloitte or Accenture or any of these big uh, consulting houses, um, you generally don't get the most expensive people doing all the work for you. They're usually the network and they're the ones selling you the work rather than actually producing all the deliverables. They often will package it up and, and give it to you at the end so that it does have a professional sheen uh, to it. But the, the majority of the work is often in source to uh, the, I guess, the junior staff that we have. Yeah, the lower, it's all about billability at that point, right? Where you're billing out at higher rates but you're having juniors take on that, take on those roles. But I think in terms of like questions, like where we, you know, the types of folks that we want, was that, was that the original question? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was just when you're trying to identify, like, is this a person that I want to take on at the beginning? Because yeah. I think you, that's a big commitment on your end to, to, to go For down sure. that path. And I think, you know, the, the big thing is, is that um, the questions I am most, uh, I guess, concerned about, like, you know, you can pass a quick math test, you can pass, you know, those, we can test you technically, but it's, it's the curious folks. It's the people who are kind of wanting to dig, um, the people who aren't afraid to make mistakes, the people that are um, a little more, a little less risk adverse, I guess. Uh, but the people who are willing to try things out, like you can have a lot of practitioners, like, I mean, we're not looking for unicorns and we're not looking for people who are necessarily like, you know, great, great orators, great storytellers, plus great technicians, plus, you know, like you can't always find that stuff. So, you know, we do, we do look for people more about more around the idea of like curiosity um, and people who are uh, willing to learn. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions around that where you can just ask people how they would figure something out. You know, just, I want to see how you think through problems um, and people who, people who want to, people who can admit and just say like things like, you know what, I don't know, but I'll go find out versus trying to BS your way through something <laughs> to make yourself like an authority. But you know, it's, it's, it's around the idea of just uh, being an explorer and like, okay with, okay with um, not coming up with the right answer right away. Because I mean, at, at the end of the day, data science and data analysis and technology and stuff, it's, it's a lot of exploration. It's a lot of trial and error you, you don't know the answer up front a lot of the time. So you kind of go in 
half knowing and then you'll figure you'll figure it out along the way but i mean you do have methodologies and frameworks that you work through but you know it's not like a typical engineering problem where you know what you're going to do you know you're just like here's the problem you know i need to make code or i need to make a bridge or i need to whatever i just you know these are the things these are the constraints i work in and then i just kind of build it out you know yeah makes a lot of sense and so one of the things i've seen a lot. I mean, certainly there's tons of universities and we had chatted on this a little bit before where there's so many universities doing so many programs in this space, whether it's data science or analysts or engineer or whatever you want to call it, different programs and a lot at the master's level or, um, or boot camps, even things like that. If you had the power to go into, in that type of program, how would you change maybe one of your local universities and adapt their program? Would you, would you try to do the whole program as an apprenticeship model or, or how would you, how would you sort of restructure a university's uh, education in the, in the space? <laughs> Well, I guess like one thing is, is that um, universities aren't really open to the idea of traditionally anyways, are, are open to the idea of like apprenticeship. You know, it's, it's very, you know, everyone's going to say experiential learning, but I find a lot of like some universities are doing this decently where they're having more of like applied or co-op programs and stuff, but actually to teach it, um, I think it's, they need to be taking more like case-based learning, uh, bringing in real, bringing in real problems and real data sets, not just like, here's a public data set of, you know, 5,000 records perfectly formatted. So you have to do, um, you know, you can do this piece of analysis. It's like, you have to understand the rigors of, you know, doing these things and going through the pain of data. Um, what's the word? Like, uh, the data engineering and then yeah, like the, the wrangling and stuff. So, and, but you know, the thing is, is that, that, that should be a course because right now the way university teaches is in discrete chunks, right? You would take a data engineering course, then you would take a data science course, then you might take like a model course. And then, but at, in the real world, all of those are combined to solve a problem, right? It's like taking a course in cooking, but instead of cooking, you just take a chopping course. Then the next course you take is just a boiling course. And then the next course you take is a frying course. Like that's not how you cook, right? You cook mm -hmm. all, you have to take all the skills at once. So, you know, th that's my thought. Like if you were to do something, you know, it's more of like a, you know, you might spend a semester solving a problem and going in and working with uh, industry to do it. Makes sense. So, and then so what, how, about, how about yourself? I'm going to flip that back to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I would like to exactly have a lot more experiential. And I, to be honest, I would, I would, I think all learning well. So, there's the master's level versus the bachelor's level. I would sort of separate out that out a little bit. I think, I think a lot of the master's level learning that I've seen is so focused on checking boxes that are perceived to be important in organizations and checking as many boxes. It's sort of the quantity over the quality that I, you know, get good at a couple of things and identify what those people are passionate about, what they're good at. Uh, like you say, we're not trying to create unicorns here. So I think for me, it would be spending a lot of time at the beginning to to really know the, the student and then seeing designing an education that's going to be good for that person, him or her, that is going to have a, a significant experiential component. I'm not against, you know, some of those courses that are going to, you know, help get you along. But I think it's also the same thing as like, I'm not against like, 
doing uh, the hackathons or those type of things. And like those data hackathons are great. They're good energy, things like that. But again, that's not, that's sort of like, okay, go do this for a, a day or a weekend or things like that. But it's, it's not the, you know, right on point to a, a normal project that you're going to do. Just like mm-hmm. if you want to do KO competitions, like, Hey, great, go do it. Um, but you don't have that interaction with the business and that uh, asking questions and those types of things that if you're a data scientist or data analyst are such core features. So bring in real projects. The tough thing is, is, and in fact, one of the universities just was reached out to me saying, Hey, we're, we're looking for companies to do uh, part of this capstone. We, we, you know, we had a couple of companies drop out and we need, need some companies to fill in and asked if I knew anyone. And, and though, but it's the capstone project, right? It's the the last thing that the students get to do. And it's like, Hey, like actually really apply it. Well, um, I think maybe that first semester there should be, you know, it, it's going to be more work from the university to do it in that first semester, but like, okay, understand like those projects and like, understanding where those gaps are for those individuals and what that person's good at, and then trying to accelerate them as they're doing multiple of those types of capstones throughout the, uh, the effort. Now, I also think the other question is on, on domain knowledge. Like if students are coming in with a significant amount of domain knowledge, they're, they're going in a master's program and they have 10 years of, of domain experience in healthcare or in oil and gas or somewhere like that. That's a, that's a very different perspective and, and how you can lean in with that student and how education should be versus, okay, this person's just sort of very much on the pathfinding. I would question whether math right. masters make sense for those students. So too. Yeah. And I think one thing is, is that they really understand like when you've been in the workforce for a while, you're very, you're, you're more sensitive to your learning needs, right? When you're coming out of school, you're just learning to learn. You're still in that kind of like headspace where you're like, I'll learn anything, you know, it's not, it's not as targeted or focused. Um, But yeah, as an adult, like a more mature learner, you know why you're there, you know what you're, you know, you kind of taking stuff for the next steps for the most part. Yeah, that's a great point. So have you seen anyone else doing so the apprenticeship model obviously has a long history in many different forms and and certainly there has been more of the emphasis on boot camps and things like that but have you seen anyone uh else sort of taking on the charge something similar to what you're doing in other areas of the world that you're you're feeling happy that things are sort of progressing in the right thing because the tough thing is scale right like the model you're doing is is you know and, and it's it's quality but it's from a scale perspective it's tough unless a lot of people sort of buy into this type of approach and make things better um we haven't seen anyone else doing this model uh in our well not necessarily just in our backyard we don't we don't know anyone in canada that's doing this but we also don't know anyone really globally doing this uh but there are folks who are doing other um doing this in other verticals, right? So, you know, there's sales and operations um, people that are doing this for startups. Uh, there's, uh, I, th- I believe there's like a marketing one that's similar. So, you know, I think this model just lends itself to, you know, the times right now. People are looking, you know, if you're looking at job experience, data science is not a job, is not a first job. So if you see this as data scientists, you know, there's always like the two to five year experience type of gap there. So, or request even for juniors. So how do you, you know, how do you have a junior that has two to five years? That's not a junior anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel that data science like is being viewed as this like transitionary or transition type of career where you started out as an analyst, then you might, someone at your company gave you a shot and you move up into, 
you know, data science, um, typically, but, um, you know, I scale scales, like another scales, another issue, I guess, like for us, you know, we we're looking to validate the model. I think it's been validated, you know, scale is scale will be, you know, kind of the next problem that we tackle, but I don't think this model is not scalable. I mean, it's like boot camps, boot camps. It, I think we're at the same scale problems where it's, you need instructors and you need, you know, mentors, like we call them mentors. Cause we look at this as more as a mentorship program. Um, and you know, you still need people to deliver it. You know, this isn't a Coursera like where you're just watching videos. I think that is a, that's a model for certain people, right? I mean, I think different learning methodologies are for different, different folks. I mean, some people need the in-class, some people need a person, some people just want to do it on their own, right? Some people need books, some people need videos, some people, you know, need problems. So we're going after the people that want the, the experiential learning, not just like the classroom stuff. So is there anything that you think, so I mean, education is a space that's certainly that in healthcare, healthcare, especially in America, uh, that from a industries that have not been disrupted uh, at all. And I would argue, like I was excited with Coursera and these other things that have come out, but I don't think uh, they've been very uh, disrupted, not just whether it's not just talking about analytics, obviously we're talking broadly here. Is there any things that you've seen out of COVID or, or other things recently that make you uh, excited or think that there might be finally a push to have better sort of disruption in the education space? For me, I think it's largely been uh, just sort of the uh, the backlash against universities generally, uh, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, like students are all up in arms as to why am I paying you this ridiculous tuition at this point uh, for nearly the same value um, that I would get from some online learning platform, whatever that is, right? So I think there's a bit of disruption coming. I think the model has largely been flawed, not quite broken for quite a long time. Um, and in a world of capitalism, like it really has been, it's a business, let's go make money rather than uh, in a very altruistic way, let's do the best for the student, right? So um, I think it's very plausible that uh, we see a shakeup in it, but I don't know that the entrenched, uh, you, you know, colleges and universities are going to largely change unless they're losing money. So it's all a money game for them. And we'll have to see how this all shakes out in the next, I don't know, three to six or nine months or however long they're, you know, not allowing students into the halls of these higher learning institutions. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And, and uh, I think, he, well, Malcolm Gladwell, I believe is Canadian, right? Uh, and I had heard him at uh, a conference last year in, in Tennessee and actually at the Alteryx conference and it was it was because he's he was doing his his revisionist history podcast and one of the things he was talking about was the LSAT and he sat for the LSAT if you haven't listened to the episode and just talking a lot about just education general and you know how things like even just like how you choose from an admission standpoint and what the value of the, all these things like from a school rating standpoint and you know it seems kind of kind of backwards and now with COVID there's at least been a little bit more brought to attention at the same time I'm surprised that uh, as many universities are still collecting as much tuition as uh as they did before it's not like things are like hey we're going to reduce it a lot uh because we understand that kids right. are 
one of getting part of the experience. So, yeah. well, I mean, right now people are going to Ivy League schools and just sitting in their dorms, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, paying full tuition to do remote learning. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, hey, Coursera's out there for a lot less. But... Yeah, well, I, I think the other thing too is is just like you know, the Canadian university system is there's no real push for private universities here. Um, I don't know if there's private universities here, actually. There's, I know there's um, private Catholic, but I still think they're funded by yes. the government. So, I mean, you're not paying 80000 or $50,000 for degrees in Canada yet. You're still kind of around eight to $10,000. I believe that that's the going price. And, you know, when Victor and I were both in university, it was substantially <laughs> less like $4,000, but um, four or $5,000. But, you know, um, I think, you know, the big, the big thing is, is that because university is so expensive and you're going to the Harvards and the uh, um, things of the world, your or Ivy league schools of the world, and you're paying that much, like there's probably an expectation for you to, uh, you know, get the full experience at that price. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And well, in fact, I, I just was talking to actually somebody from Toronto uh, a couple of days ago and she came to the United States to one of the universities for grad school, uh, actually for law school. And she's actually looking at, you know, trying to combine law with tech. Uh, and we we're, we we're chatting on that and obviously going through, you know, going to the expensive grad school in United States, uh, University of Notre Dame is, is you know, pretty, pretty expensive, a good school. Yeah, yeah. my very brother-in-law is a football scout for them. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. And so, so I'm, I'm always amazed because you guys obviously have good universities up there um, at a much more reasonable rate. So, so what, what are you most hopeful about with education, the, the data science or the analytics space? I, I don't like to just say data science. I like to say analytics in general, because any, anything that you're very, feeling pretty hopeful about? Um, I think, well, I mean, I feel that it, are you talking about in general or in, um, like at the scholastic level? Well, I think it could be in, in any capacity. I mean, it could be yeah. one is, yeah. I think a big thing, a- I think a big thing that we're seeing is just data literacy. People are starting to really kind of put money into it, or I shouldn't say people, companies are starting to put money into it. They're seeing it as not a competitive advantage anymore, but they're seeing it as table stakes. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, I don't want to say, you know, alarm sound alarmist and saying like, this is do or die, but I mean, for companies to move forward and kind of be modern or modernized, uh, you need data, you need data to drive that way. And that doesn't mean that, you know, everyone at your company needs to be a data scientist, but it's that ability to use data to make decisions, ability to interpret data, the ability to form arguments with data, you know, the ability to discuss data. And it's not, I think it's inherent to everybody. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm so bad with data. I don't know this, that, and the other. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, if you can look at your grocery receipt and tell me uh, how much did you spend on vegetables, you can do that. And you've just done data analysis, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's one of those things where I think it just needs to be reframed. And I think a lot of people are doing it every day. I think everyone's doing it every day. You just don't know that you're doing it and taking that in and applying it to the business context. Right. And just like uh, how you're making decisions, how decisions are being formed. Right. You know, like not just making the decision, but like, why am I making this decision? And then getting into that idea of like, 
evidence and using um, any of that information to you know help you drive your business a little further. So I, I'm I'm really excited that companies are you know investing into that or looking into it at least like it's it's conversation now at least, um, and you know universities are pushing for this like machine like the academic side of it which is like machine learning. Um, you're seeing a lot more of these like master's degrees in uh, analytics and whatnot. I mean I don't know if they're good or not, but you know universities are jumping on the trend and that bandwagon and you know, that it's pushing the profile and people are um, aware of it and people are talking about it. So I think that's, that's important, even just being able to have the conversation about it. Um, So I think, I think it's a good thing. I think, uh, you know, if you're digitally native, you know, we've talked about this on our own podcast, but if you're digitally native, this is an important, um, this is an important thing to, to look at when you're forming companies and companies that, are doing it right off the bat are growing at exponential rates. Like those are the companies that are, you know, killing it because they're able to use data right from the get-go. Yeah, that's a great point. And certainly I think the sort of yes ending that is I'm a big fan of improv is so more leaders are even willing to start asking those questions and get a little bit better with data literacy. And I'm surprised at how many uh, leaders are, uh, although getting to, I, I had, uh, uh, I've had a couple executives recently say, "Hey, do you know a good Python class I could take?" Which I'm always like, "Okay, like, <laughs> tell me more. Why are you? <laughs> is it just total mental curiosity?" But, uh, but I think there's there's at least just a a broader recognition of the importance of this, like you say, across the board, and and just taking a step back. Although one thing I've I've have wondered with COVID is. Because you would think that, hey, we're looking at more visualizations and data and things like that just on a normal basis, I think, from the general public. And at least more journalists and things are, are at least appear to be talking about it. But I do wonder, do you think COVID is a good representation of where that's helped push data literacy forward? Or do you think this is maybe some of the evidences of some of the shortcomings of, you know, still data literacy in our society? Um, that's a really good question. I think, you know, COVID it's interesting because there's data coming out about COVID all the time and it's being pushed to the public, but I don't think you can convince people who don't want to be convinced. So, I mean, there's people who are looking at the numbers and interpreting them and trying to do things from them. And then there's certain folks that know that numbers exist, but they don't care about them, you know? So I think that, um, the conversations around COVID for the folks that care about the numbers are starting to become more interesting. Um, I think that the, uh, I think that you can use that information to help educate the public and actually boost the profile of data literacy and inspire others. And I think that inspiration comes especially at like the youth. I don't know if you can change adults' minds, you know what I mean? But the young and impressionable ones um, can still do it and the ones that want to do something about it. But um, I think it's not, I don't think it's necessarily boosting the profile, but it's uh, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe not, but it's it's giving you data to work with that's relevant and usable, you know, and to have conversations about. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. Uh, now, 
I, I what are, guess what are I would, your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I'll be honest. I, I'm a little disappointed with with how I feel that people and, and it just is. So one of the things I'm I'm a big fan of too is behavioral science and that uh, you know we we're still just humans and we have these emotions and things like that. And I think this is also a you know and if you, like I think you had mentioned before Kahneman Tversky like you know this of course system one system two thinking with with thinking fast and slow and you know how how yeah. rational of thinkers are we versus how impulsive I think this is a good example of how important it is to think of these scenarios and plan ahead of time and use data in a a proactive sense instead of trying to certainly reactive like we have to deal with what we got but it's so important like you're going to get so much more value in that proactive standpoint and i I feel i think it's a big thing with your leadership too i mean not your leadership being like the american leadership but maybe that is a thing but um (laughs) you know i think the important thing is is that people showing people that you know to trust data um, and showing people how to use data to come up to their own, uh, come up to their own conclusions, but for people to be completely dismissive of it and say like, that's not true. It's like, well, what, what can, you know, like, what are you going to say? Like, you can't really say anything to, to folks like that, but you know, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of American news and I watch, I watch it every day, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is, is that, you know, the current administration seems like they pick and choose the data that they want to use um, mm-hmm. and then, but then completely ignore everything else. So it doesn't, it's kind of weird, right? Like they're, they're saying, don't listen to the data, except the data I give you. So I think it's just having that ability to kind of cut through what anyone is saying, look at the evidence and then ingest it and do it, you know, come to your own conclusion about it, but at least you can have a conversation with that. Yeah. And what are your thoughts, Victor? Um, I, See, I believe that uh, a lot of the OG visualizers and, uh, you know, I guess data scientists, they're not really scientists, but I guess, you know, it's largely visualizers, um, are data journalists, uh, whether or not they have the rigor of a scientist, that's, you know, whatever to be determined. But the news, the news media, um, for a very long time has always put this stuff together, uh, rightly or wrongly, and again, with a bias or a lens towards whatever they believe in a little bit more, uh, or whatever the their bosses believe in, I guess, a little bit more. But that world um, has existed and permeated within society for a very long time. And I, I feel like we've all missed an opportunity all throughout to really shine a light on them a bit and be like, this is some of the cool stuff that can happen uh, from the data world. And it's not necessarily going to be all AI all the time, all neural networks, all deep (laughs) learning. You're not going to get into, you know, AGI with everything you do, you know, very often describing things, uh, really well. And even at the level of counting things really well, uh, is a really good story to tell. And, uh, people, you know, often get, I guess, um, blinded by the sexiness of, you know, whatever the the newest image recognition is or whatever the newest nlp model is when those are very hard things to to achieve and get to and you need an army of you know people phds infrastructure all the stuff that goes around it to really do that kind of work whereas if you're if you're largely doing you know 
really, really strong reporting and visualizations that tell a story and deliver business value, you're going to win and have a really good career all throughout. Those are, you know, positions that are largely needed and hugely available as opposed to the data scientists that everybody believes, oh, well, if I go and do this thing with Bootcamp X, then Google will come knocking or Facebook AI will come knocking or somebody. And, you know, people are kind of foolhardy about that, where realistically, go and visualize really well, you'll have a great job. Yeah, that's right. Like, um, one of our friends, you know, to the program, uh, Joseph, he's been, you know, working on his data, data visualization chops, and he's basically doing a viz a day in Tableau. Mm -hmm. And some of his visuals now, like, you look at what he started with and what he has now, I'm like, man, just getting the reps in is really has been really good has been really, um, you know, through experience, you know, it's giving him that that ability to 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 hone his craft, right? But at the end of the day, it's a craft, right? You've got to put you've got to put the time in. You can't learn anything instantly. If you could, you'd be on you'd be a professional athlete making billions of dollars, right? So, you know, everyone needs to know it. Or you'd be in the major. Yeah, that's right. But you know, it it takes time, right? So I, I think a lot of people want to get, you know, take the shortcut. But at the end of the day, you know, whatever job you do, you're a practitioner and as a practitioner, you know, you got to hone your craft, right? Definitely. So if you're, let's, let's each maybe answer a question. If you're going to uh, read one thing or look at one thing uh, that you come across recently, let's answer maybe from the perspective of someone younger in their career, whether it's a data scientist or data analyst versus somebody more senior in the career, any recommendations that uh, for that more junior person and then for that more senior person? Could be a book, could be a podcast, could be a whatever. Well, definitely your podcast for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I wouldn't get like overly bogged down, um, you know, with a specific language, but like looking at uh, the kinds of um, things that are available, I'd pick up something like an introduction, to, uh, an introduction to statistical learning of some sort, like get your head wrapped around stats and maybe a little of Bayesian, Bayesian learning. Uh, and if you can start to understand that world a little more and you already have the math background, because if you don't, it's a little harder to, to really gain that knowledge. Um, that's a really good crash course into a lot of the things that may be worthwhile for you to think of in the future. And then beyond that, you know, like whether somebody chooses to do things in R, Python or whatever, I mean, then it's, you know, chart your own path and kind of go down it. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. And like, you know, and I, I think it's on your background too. Like if you're, if you're, you know, not super technical, maybe you don't want to do that kind of stuff. Like, you know, for the data science world, like I think everyone should learn stats and just, it, it's super helpful and it's going to help you in your job also. But, you know, there's some folks like, um, you know, they, you could take the engineering route too, right? Where you're, you're going in, you're, you're less mathy and more like eng. So, um, you know, along with if, if math isn't your, your jam, I think for, you know, the three of us, like math is our jam. So it's, it's good. Um, but if math, you know, if math isn't your jam, maybe you want to go down the engineering route. If you come from more of a dev background and like looking into DevOps and, you know, maybe just setting up and learning, uh, hunkering down and learning some AWS technology. Right. So like, or some cloud tech and like just getting good at like productionizing, um, you know, there's a ton of careers out, out there too in, in that. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's where you come from. Right. Like, uh, I, I was talking to someone the other day and they, you know, they come from a, uh, 
risk and anti-money laundering background and they're like hey i'm gonna be i'm taking a data science course i'm like cool do you like coding they're like no i'm like well i don't well, what <laughs> you know it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make sense that you want to do this and they're like well i want to be able to you know create teams and talk to teams about what they're doing and i was like well i don't know if you need to i don't need to, i don't think you need to take a machine learning course to do that right so maybe you need to maybe you need to just read about it a lot more in terms of i'm not saying not to take it but i'm saying like if you don't like coding and that's something you've always struggled with you know maybe that's not that's not the path but i think a lot of people see it so i was like you know maybe you need to learn more about like ai strategy or like get into more of like the strat stuff or do some basic analysis first don't go straight into you know ml sometimes i think it's just a big jump because that's what everyone's talking about but you know Mm -hmm. you need to you need to run you can't run before you walk. Right. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that, Victor? Like, is that a, is that crazy? Like, should I be telling people this stuff? Like, I feel that <laughs> this is not bad advice. No, like, no, it's, it's, it's smart advice. I mean, it's advice that you gain from having been in the field for a, a long enough time. Right. So, you know, people are eager and want to jump in and, and think that like, it's good that you think that you can do a lot of things and you can do everything. Uh, but you know, at times you sort of need the foundation before you build the house. Right. Yeah, so that's right. I mean, do a visualization a day, right. See if you like that stuff. And then, but I mean, I think, you know, with machine learning and all this stuff, like the predictive side, it's like, you got to be able to ask the questions, right. And you can ask lots of really good questions, uh, while doing reports, while doing visualizations and questions, beget questions. And eventually you move into those type of predictive questions, but that doesn't mean you have to be there right now, you know, um, Dave, what about you? Like, what, what do you think? What's that, what's that starter or that kickoff for you? Well, and, and so for that, that more junior person, I actually think getting just your critical thinking and skills as much as possible. So there's a, I'm going to recommend a different podcast than the other of ours is, is Econ Talk. And it's been going on since like 2007. And they cover a lot of different spaces. They do a lot of, uh, and, and certainly the word econ's in it. And it's actually a former economics professor, University of Chicago, sort of classically trained type of economist, but he has Lots of different guests, whether it's like uh, Nassam Talib or any of those types of guests that are on there covering a whole bunch of areas. And I think, you know, they, they capturing, uh, understanding more the problems that different people face. I think the more, and a part of it's like you get older, you get wiser, right? But you see a lot of the patterns, like a lot of things are so similar, like industry to industry, uh, you know, problem people like people problem, people problem, like these things are just over and over again. It doesn't matter your role, doesn't matter your domain. Uh, So I think, but I do think, you know, the more that you can sort of like fast track that and have that strong critical thinking skill that uses data as a component of it, the better you're going to be in your career. So I think of like, whichever, like for me, Econ Talk has has been a good podcast to to do that. Um, But on a perspective of one thing with people with like very basic programming skills, there's a fast.ai that uh, Jeremy Howard uh, does. And he has like uh, stuff around like, you know, deep learning. He has two deep learning courses and he has a uh, uh, basic machine learning one yeah. and fast.ai is, you know, it's a, it's a framework and it's also his, his, he does research around this. Yeah. Fast.ai is great. It's just, it's so yeah. easy to, to implement. Yeah, it's it's so easy to implement. But the question is, is like even like part of it's like, okay, start doing this stuff, start seeing if you like it and what the job is. And like, you know, because I think sometimes people get so 
dissuaded because they can't get very far very quick. And it's like, well, if you're a programmer that's wanting to switch into, or at least somebody that's got some basic programming skills that wants to make that switch, fast AI is great to just like give you exposure to say now without granted, like you can't just like set these things and like have no context around it. I know you have to go way beyond that to ever get any experience. And that's again, like doing applied learning is really the only way you can really do it. Well, I think um, like you guys, do with your folks. So, but I do think it's, it's an easy thing where I, I put people down to say, Hey, given that background, this might be a good thing to do you. Let's check in once a month. Let's see how you're doing it. Let's find some real projects that you might be able to you know, find a nonprofit you can work with to help solve problem. Now, oftentimes like the, like deep learning, but you're not going to necessarily use, but you may be using some random forest to help a nonprofit in different capacities, for example. Right. Right. Cool. Like, no, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, just kicking it off, like, uh, you know, it depends on, it depends on the path, but really like, I think critical thinking is really the, a huge component of it and just how, um, you need to be answering questions, you know, and critical thinking really helps you really helps you get there. So I think that that's a great, uh, that's kind of spot on. Well, I know we're we're at time. We're it's a Friday afternoon. We we got to get to wherever we're gonna get. But if, if you guys uh, had any uh, parting thoughts, uh, where where can people find you uh, for the day to able audience that's not used to you and uh, Jansen and Victor? Yeah, I think well, couple you can find us on LinkedIn, Jansen Sullivan, and Victor's Victor Anjos. So you can always find us there. Um, you can find us on the All Things Data podcast. We're on Spot. Well, we're off Anchor, but uh, you know a lot of our folks come off on Spotify. Um, yeah, and I think you know just parting thoughts. It's uh, do things. You know, get your hands dirty. Find a project, uh, and it doesn't have to be solving a problem, a huge problem of the world. If you want to do a visualization a day, you know that's that's doing something. If you want to go help a help a not for profit, you can. Or if you just want to find, you know, what MBA team is going to what NBA team is going to win the finals this year, you know, that's a great project too, but find, do something and find something that you're passionate about and it'll keep you motivated. If you're doing something you don't want, you'll never, you'll never finish, you know? Exactly. That, that's great advice. And I, I just got off the phone with someone actually was saying, I was giving her advice for a, a visualization a week. Now I need to call her back and say every day. <laughs> yeah. Check, <laughs> check it out. There's a challenge, there's a challenge, but uh, I can, uh, you know, I can link you out to Joseph's uh, Visa Day Challenge, but I think uh, a bunch of people are doing it. But it's uh, it's been really it's been really insightful because I've been following it on uh, I've been following it on uh, LinkedIn. Sounds good. Thank you. And, and Victor, how about you? Uh, where do they uh, find you? What's your? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Victor Anjos and Jos. Uh, I'm on Twitter, not super active, um, but generally, you know. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best place because it's very professional there. So. And same here with uh, it's funny how we're we're all just referencing LinkedIn now, and uh, I guess it's the LinkedIn's cool. It's, the adult it's a tech, like a professional. <laughs> so I'm Dave Matthias one on t- with uh, one as a number because you know that's what was available uh, for uh, LinkedIn, <laughs> and I'm Dave Matthias on Twitter. I'm not Dave Matthias one. I, I was able to get the without one. Yes. Uh, so hey, although I'm not very active on it, so uh, what does that say? Uh, but of course, uh, GoBeyondTheData.com is. Uh, my company's website and, and data ables on the uh, most of the podcast uh, catchers that are out there. Uh, but uh, great talking with you guys today. Yeah, no, it was great. Thanks. You know, Absolutely. thanks for, thanks for asking us lots of questions. Cause usually it's just Vic and I asking each other questions. So it, it's good to have you <laughs> yeah. know, being, uh, being on the other end of it. 
inquisitive minds, right? That's so, right. well, good, <laughs> good chatting with you guys. We'll do it again. Okay. Thank you. So cheers. Do All we- right.